This is the Mount Carmel Christian Church Podcast. Today, teaching minister Tim Peace will be teaching our message. So we are in week three of the generosity iteration of our undeserved series. And if you're keeping score at home, that's week seven in the series as a total. And uh, I want to start off, I, I had the opportunity this week, uh, this per- past Friday, in fact, uh, to officiate a wedding for a couple named Randy and Lindsay. And they had their wedding in Hamilton, Ohio, which when you factor in traffic, ended up being about an hour drive for me to get to and from. So uh, a lot of people don't really like long traffic stays or drives, but I like that time in the car because I am a music junkie. I always have been, and so it just so happened that that morning, um, a there's a band called Jimmy World, and they're they're mine and Angie's like one of our favorite bands. Like we see them every time they come to Cincinnati. In fact, the only reason we didn't see them when they were here this year was because we were in the hospital with Leo, and we have priorities. So. Uh, didn't feel like it was the right time to um, just leave the hospital and all that stuff. So, but anyway, uh, they, they had dropped their new album that morning, and so I added it on my Apple Music, and I listened to it on the way. And there's a song called Love Never that's got a line in it that jumped out at me. And the nice thing about knowing where I was going to go with my message this today is that I can call an audible based off of a lyric. And this is what the lyric says. It asks a question, actually. The question of, in the lyric is, do you want the work more than the reward? Do you want the work more than the reward? The song, it turns out, is about love and the fact that people have this dream, this fascination, this ideal about love and what they do is they, they fantasize about what love looks like, and it turns out that love is harder than they might think. And so the question of the song is, do you want the work that love costs more than the reward that you're waiting for in the dream scenario? And I thought that was a very, very poignant lyric for us to have in our minds this morning as we continue on in this generosity series. Because I don't know if you know this, but nobody in church ever likes to talk about generosity and money and tithing, except maybe one person. Actually, the preacher doesn't even really like to talk about it if they're that honest with you. And the funny thing is about that is, you know, it's, it's easy to be like in my shoes up here and be like, well, you just don't want to talk about the Bible and, you know, get, you know, high and mighty about you know, why people, you know, kind of get uncomfortable and squeamish at the thought of talking about money. But it turns out this has been a historical issue. And I know this because there's this story in the Gospel of Mark where this rich young man comes to Jesus. And I want you to hear what's said in this story. It says, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor 
your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. So see, even Jesus can do a little bit of a message on money and people don't like it. It's always been that way. And I was thinking about why that is, that what's the deep reason? And I think I know why. And it gets back to the question in that song. Do you want the work more than the reward? See, this man came to Jesus and he asked, Jesus, how do I get the reward? And when Jesus told him what work, the calling, the enactment of faith that this man supposedly had, he walked away sad. Now, don't misunderstand me for a moment here. We are not saved by our works. Grace of God is unmerited. It is unearned. But the point is, is that we are saved by grace for good works. And so, as an outgrowth of our faith, as an enactment of our faith, we are saved to do good. And yet this question, do you want the work more than the reward, it hits this man. But something else interesting happens in this story. If you read further, it says that Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, children, how hard is it is to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were even more amazed and said to one another, who then can be saved? See, there was a cultural belief during this time and even into the Old Testament times, which we're going to talk about one of the Psalms as our key passage today. There was this thought that God's blessing comes upon those who are faithful. And so the fact that this man came to Jesus very wealthy and according to his own words had kept all of the commands since he was a little boy, the disciples watched this exchange between Jesus and the man and they said to themselves, uh, Jesus, if that guy hasn't figured it all out, what does that make us? Toast? See, this idea that one's material wealth, that the blessing in a material sense from God as a signifier of one's faithfulness ran rampant in this culture. It ran rampant before the disciples. And guess what? To a different degree, it still runs rampant today. Although we have a little bit of a nuance with it. A lot of us uh, think in terms of uh, either side of a coin. Some people might think that wealth is an indicator of one's faithfulness, meaning that they acquired it because God has blessed them, because they're good, righteous people, or maybe uh, if you're not of the religiously inclined mindset, you think, well, they got that because of their own hard work. 
They've earned it. They deserve it. And those that think that way then go to the other side of the coin and they say, well, those that are less fortunate, they don't have because clearly their faith is lacking or they didn't work hard enough. They didn't get down and they didn't pull up their bootstraps tight enough. Because if they had, they wouldn't be in the predicament that they are. Now that's one way of thinking. The other way of thinking today is the exact opposite. People will look to people considered wealthy and they'll say, that person got that by ill-gotten means. They must have been standing on the shoulders and the backs of the poor in order to get what they've earned. In fact, their wealth is a signifier, not of their faith, but of their faithlessness. They must be doing vile and wicked things. And that same person will then think, they'll look at the poverty stricken and they'll say, what virtuous people to be able to live with so little to none. They are truly faithful people because they're not won over by material gain. Well, I'm gonna argue this morning that both of those sets of thinking are totally wrong according to scripture. And we're gonna figure that out by looking at a Psalm of David. It's Psalm 37, and really if we had time, we would be looking at Psalm 36 and 37, but we're gonna look at just a few sections of Psalm 37 that we're gonna highlight. But I wanna tell you what this psalm is about. Starting at Psalm 36, we get this line at the beginning from David that says, I have a message from God on my, in my heart. And so what we get right out of the gate is that this psalm is something that David has picked up from God. This is God's perspective captured in Psalm 36 and 37. And it's important to keep that in mind because what we end up finding out in verse one of Psalm 37 is we hear the voice of God say, do not fret because of those who are evil or be envious of those who do wrong. So right out of the gate, what we learn is that David and probably people like David, people that were deemed faithful to God, were upset. Because they, like the disciples of Jesus, who we just read a second ago, believed that for their faithfulness, they should have received blessing from God in the form of material wealth. And they're looking around at the world around them, and all they see are what they perceive to be wicked and evildoers prospering. And they say to themselves, God, how could you let this happen? I thought that you would bless those that were faithful, and it turns out that it is the wicked, the evildoers, who are doing well off. And so we have two sections in this psalm that I want us to focus in on because they, they tell us two things about this issue of wealth that will help set up what we want to take away today. And the first section is, is Psalm 37, verses 16 through 22. And I want you to follow along. It'll be on the screens and in your bulletins. So follow along with me here as we read this. 
David the psalmist writes, better the little that the righteous have than the wealth of many wicked. For the power of the wicked will be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The blameless spend their days under the Lord's care and their inheritance will endure forever. In times of disaster, they will not wither. In times of famine, they will enjoy plenty. But the wicked will perish. Though the Lord's enemies are like the flowers of the field, they will be consumed, they will go up in smoke. The wicked borrow and do not repay, but the righteous give generously. Those the Lord blesses will inherit the land, but those he curses will be destroyed. And then I want to quickly jump to the end of this psalm, to verse 37. So continue following here. It says, Consider the blameless, observe the upright. A future awaits those who seek peace. But all sinners will be destroyed. There will be no future for the wicked. The salvation of the righteous comes from the Lord. He is their stronghold in time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. Now, I don't know if you caught how this psalm tells us something different than what we typically think when we consider both the wealthy and the poor. But the first thing that stands out in the first section we, we read is that there's a focus not on what people have, but on what the righteous do with what they have. It says that the righteous give generously. It also notes that in times of disaster, the righteous, the blameless, will not wither. Now, does it say that there won't be times of disaster? Does it say that there will not be times of famine for the righteous? No. What it says is it forecasts a future reality for the righteous, and it forecasts a future reality for the wicked that has no bearing on one's present situation and circumstances. Then when we get to that last section, that point is driven home all the more. Because it says, consider the blameless and observe the upright. Notice it doesn't say, consider the wealthy and copy what they're doing. Nor does it say, consider the poor and copy what they're doing. It ignores whether somebody is rich or poor. It says to consider the blameless, the upright, the generous, the faithful, the blameless. There's a key difference. And that key difference is caught in something I want us to remember today. Evidence of faith, evidence of faith is not found in what you've got, but it's found in the good that you do with what you've got. Evidence of faith is not found in what you've got but in the good that you do with what you've got. And some might got a lot. I feel like Dr. Seuss. And some might got a little. What you have or don't have is actually irrelevant in the here and now. 
It's the good that you do with what you've got that is what makes your faith evident. Why? Because those who are saved by the unmerited grace of God are saved to do good works. And so it always surprises me, you know, to a degree, when we, when we balk at talking about this issue of generosity. And I have to confess to you, I get just as squeamish, A, because I'm never sure what us preacher types are going to say when we're talking about it. You know, like, how many people are going to get mad today? Um, so I'm thinking about that. But then the other thing is, it's equally as convicting to me. I have to sit there and I have to think, do I resemble the faithful in what I do with what I've got? Or do I hold things back? And so I wanted to spend a little bit of time closing with another story that might be familiar to you from the Gospel of Luke. It's a story that is often captured in the title, The Widow's Offering. And it's only four verses long, actually. It's in Luke 21. And this is what it says. It says, as Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Now again, just like we were looking at the psalm, I want you to catch what this passage isn't doing so that you can understand what it is. Is Jesus observing the gifts of the rich and the poor in this story? Yes. But when he observes... Does he make any moral judgment in this story on the rich for being rich or the poor for being poor? No. What Jesus does observe here is that one party in the story is giving everything she has as an act of faith. And the other party or parties in the story are giving out of their leftovers, their excess. And so Jesus doesn't outright condemn the rich for giving out of their excess, but he does commend the woman, the poor widow, for giving everything she has. And I want you to let that sink in for a moment. Because oftentimes when we get into this conversation about generosity, I'll hear, and I've even been guilty of saying this before in my squeamish moments, but generosity, preacher or friend or whoever's talking about this subject, Generosity isn't just about money. Generosity is about giving of your time, your talents, and your efforts. 
And it's an odd thing because in a moment, I'm going to take that at face value, that someone genuinely is concerned that when we talk about generosity, that we're only talking about money and not about these other things. Because they're right. Generosity is about more than money. It is about those other things and more. But let's be honest. The reason that that flag is thrown up is still because despite all of the amount of times that God messes with our material stuff in Scripture, with Jesus' teaching, Paul's teaching, David's Psalms, and the like, we want to deviate the attention on that part of the story onto the things that make us a little less squeamish. And I find that to be peculiar because it's kind of like, have you ever heard people like say, you know, only God can judge me? Have you ever heard that phrase before? People get mad, like, don't judge me, only God can judge me. And I often I'm like, you're right. Only God can judge you. I have no authority to do that. But I'm not exactly sure why you're comfortable with it. And I would say the same thing about that rebuttal here. Because you're right. Giving of time, effort, talents, in addition to our material possessions, is part of generously giving all that we have. So my question to the person that might ask that or raise that concern is, well, are you? If I was in the position of the poor widow and the offerings being brought were my talent or my time or my efforts, and I walked up to the offering table or the altar or wherever it is, and Jesus were observing me, would he tell his followers, that guy put in all the time, effort, and talent he had, even as little as it is, much more than these who gave out of their excess and their leftovers? Because see, here's the truth. Some people, when it comes to material possessions, have a lot. Some have a little. When it comes to talent, some have a lot. Some have little. When it comes to time, some people have a lot, and some people barely have five minutes. But the question still remains, according to Scripture, are you giving your all with what you have? Or are you just giving of the excess and the leftovers? And the reason that Scripture is focused on this, and before I leave you feeling like, man, he was a Debbie Downer today, I want you to look up at that cross for a moment. We talk about grace being unmerited a lot, but we don't pause to think about it as an act of generosity. In fact, if you're sitting in this room, there are lights on, we're in a warm, cozy space, you're breathing, you have friends and family around you, people of 
common faith sitting next to you. Every single one of us and everything around us is given as a grace unmerited by God. The creation story in the beginning of the Bible is an unmerited act of grace by God. And Jesus going to the cross is an act of unmerited favor and grace. It is a generosity by God given to you without you asking for it, without you deserving it. See, we often get riled up about this subject because the truth is, is that when we think about our relationship with God, oftentimes the answer to the question of do you want the work more than the reward is that every last one of us wants the reward more than the work that comes with the reward. We love the idea that Jesus came and he laid down his life by going to the cross, saving us from our sin, from punishment, from death. And it is a glorious thing to behold. But the moment that Jesus says, come follow me and give your all. Well, depending on what your all means for each one of you individually, that's when it becomes hard work. Because most of us have grown up believing that everything that we have belongs to us. And we don't stop to think that everything that we have is given us because God has unmerited grace for us. And we have an opportunity not to focus in and measure up everybody else or measure up ourselves based off of whether or not we have a lot or have a little, but we have an opportunity to say, God, here's my life. You laid yours down for me, and I'm going to give mine to you. Whether it's my time, my talent, my effort, or my money. Because the testimony of Scripture says that evidence of faith is not found in what you've got, but in the good you do with what you've got. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for the fact that um, much like love and our consideration of your love for us, that you, you gave us the ultimate act of generosity before you ever asked us to make a move. And I just thank you for that reality. And God, I pray that um, for me and for uh, my friends sitting in this room that you'll help us to move past thinking about and fretting about the idea of giving something that's precious to us away, but thinking in terms of that what you've given us is an opportunity to be generous, to be like the blameless, the faithful, and the righteous. And that when we have those opportunities to do that, we have them because you were generous to us first and you gave us an example of what it looks like to give our all. And so God, I pray that each and every one of us will be inspired to do that whether we do that in our workplace, with our family, with our friends, in our church, 
God, I pray that we will find those opportunities, that you will make them evident to us, and that we will follow through because we love you and we are so grateful for the generosity you have for us. And it's in your son Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Mount Carmel Christian Church Podcast. You can find out more about us on the web at mtcarmelchurch.org.